the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we conclude our study in the book of Ruth, Boaz becomes Ruth's kinsman redeemer, and they live happily ever after. And we see in them God's unfailing love for us. We'll pick it up in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Once again, that's Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Remember the whole theme of the book of Ruth is it shows us a true love story. We've been learning a lot about marriage, relationships, through the relationship that Boaz and Ruth have together. But ultimately, of course, it's the true love story of God for us. So, was Naomi right about Boaz's message to her? Well, let's see. Look at chapter 4. Well, then Boaz went up to the gate, and he sat down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spoke came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Then, that means at the same time Ruth was talking to Naomi, first thing in the morning, before other people were up, he is already on his way to the gate. Now, the open space in front of the city gate was kind of the forum for the city, the marketplace. You had your groceries, you had everything you could find there. This is where you'd find the courthouse. Everything was done there. Business was transacted, public affairs were discussed, legal matters were settled. And the best place to encounter someone was therefore at the city gate. So Boaz goes and he plants himself down right in the gate because sooner or later, everyone passed that way, this guy's gonna come through. You know what I love about that image? Because Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And what does the Bible say he's doing right now? He is where? Seated at the right hand of the Father, right? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Now let me ask you a question. Do you associate what Boaz is doing sitting down right now as being negligent or lazy or inactive? Not at all. I mean, he's there first thing in the morning. He's going to take care of things, I think sometimes when we read that, we think, oh, yeah, he's just sitting down. I wish he'd just come get up and come back. Come and rescue me from the mess I'm in. When you're struggling, never think that Jesus is doing nothing. He loves you. He's committed to you. And he is advocating for you, even though it looks like he's just sitting. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us that. My little children, John writes, these things are written that you don't sin. But, and if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says that he intercedes for us. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He's not just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He's not just sitting there doing nothing. 
He is very active on your behalf while he's sitting there, just like Boaz was for Ruth. And so even more than Ruth, you need to settle down, girl. Settle down, guy. We need to settle down. Because unlike her, we do know how this is going to turn out for us, right? We know the end of the story. We know how it turns out for us. So we don't have anything to fear. Now, while he's sitting there, it says, behold, which literally means no sooner than he had sat down. The relative comes walking through the gate. And so he said unto him, oh, such a one, which means, and that's a weird King James translation, but it means Mr. So-and-so. The reason he's called Mr. So-and-so and his name isn't given is because it was a great dishonor to abdicate your duty as a near kinsman. And so the writer does not name him here. So, oh, such a one, turn aside, sit down. And so the near kinsman turned aside, sat down. Boaz, it says he took 10 men of the elders of the city. And he said, sit you down here. So now they sit down. So now it's obviously something important is going to happen. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab. She has sold a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. I thought to advertise you saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If you redeem it, then redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it besides you, and I am after you. And the guy says, I'll redeem it. Now, he gets the elders. These would be the most respected men in the community. They would serve as witnesses to this transaction, this big decision. And so he advertises, which means to notify you of your responsibility in this matter. I thought, I had made the decision. The word there means to declare. I made a declaration in my heart. I decided I need to do the right thing when I found out about this, and I'm presenting the information to you. You have a responsibility here to be the kinsman redeemer. Because you're the nearer kinsman, you must acquire this land on her behalf. But if you won't fulfill your responsibility, then I will. Well, the guy says, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll fulfill my responsibility. I'll do it. Wow. I mean, if that's the end of the story, I mean, that, that'd be just a horrible ending, right? The love story would end here, a happy ending for Ruth and Naomi's security, but not what everyone was hoping for. And yet the story doesn't end here because this near kinsman thinks, well, I just have to take care of this widow, this Naomi The land will become mine after she dies because she has no kids. And so Boaz informs her about the other responsibility he would have, verse 5. Well, then said Boaz, what day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead. Why? To raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. I know you said you redeem it, but I thought you might like to know You're not just acquiring this land for Naomi. You're doing it for the wife of her deceased son, which means since she can still bear children, you're going to have to take care of not just one woman, but two women. You're going to have to marry Ruth so that you can give her a child that will keep the land in her dead husband's name. He will not be your child. Now that dramatically changes the situation because before he saw this as a good investment. I get free land. Now this becomes a huge sacrifice for the near kinsman one he is not prepared to make. Look at verse six. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I mar my own inheritance. The phrase there, cannot, means I dare not. It's too risky. I can't do that. It would mar my own inheritance. It would destroy what I'm gonna pass on to my kids. You know, my own children will now get less inheritance because I'm gonna have to spend some of the money that would be their inheritance to redeem this field that I'll get no return of investment on since it won't be mine. 
Redeem thou my right for thyself, for I cannot redeem it. It's too risky. Now we can all breathe a collective sigh of relief. It's done. Boaz and Ruth will be married. All that's left is to make the transaction legal. Verse 7. Now this was the manner in the former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing, concerning the duty of redemption, which he had just abdicated, and then changing means substituting that someone else should be the kinsman redeemer, even though he was the one who's supposed to be. It says that a man would pluck off his shoe and he would give it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. So, therefore, the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for you, and he drew off his shoe, and he doesn't say it, but he gave it to Boaz. The shoe was kind of like a receipt of purchase. You know, when you get a receipt, when you go buy something, if someone ever challenged your right to property, you produce the shoe as proof. So, once Boaz has the shoe, it's official. And so, once he has the shoe, he declares his commitment to Ruth for all to hear. Verse 9, and Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead is not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. You are witnesses this day. Now, we read that he says, I have purchased Ruth as my wife, and that makes us uncomfortable, of course. I don't think Boaz viewed Ruth as property, but for the purposes of this legal transaction, he's making it clear that he's not just buying the land. He is making his commitment clear to be her redeemer. Listen, if you're married, it is so important that everyone out there know your commitment to your spouse. I realize that there are vile people out there who love the challenge of seducing someone or corrupting an individual who is committed. But I do a lot of counseling with people who've gotten involved in affairs, and in the counseling I've done, that does not describe the affairs that I've witnessed. Most affairs happen because a person who should have made their commitment to their spouse uncompromisingly clear instead left the door open through flirtation, through little innuendo here and there through taking something from that individual and letting them take something from you because it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Even though you think, well, I'll never do this, you'll leave the door open just a little bit. Listen, make your commitment clear to your spouse and to others. And I can guarantee you that 99% of the time, no one's going to play that game with you. Don't just shut the door. In fact, Put a heart-shaped do-not-disturb sign on the handle. That's what Jesus did for us. He made his commitment to us uncompromisingly clear. In John 13, 1, it says, the Last Supper, having loved his disciples, to the very end he washed their feet. But I want to read to you the exact words. 13.1, John, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Unto the end. It means through it all. Jesus washed the feet of his betrayer. He forgave those who nailed him to the cross. You don't ever have to wonder if he loves you or if he's committed to you. Amen? 
Now, when the people hear Boaz's declaration, they realize this isn't just a transactional marriage, nor is Boaz just being a good guy like he usually is. And so they pronounce a blessing on their marriage. Verse 11, and all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, apparently he was loud enough that other people heard and they all chime in too. We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that has come into your house like Rachel and like Leah, which two did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And let your house be like the house of fairies whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give you from this young woman. Now the blessing of Rachel and Leah was a common blessing in Israel. We find it in other places in scripture. In other words, it's we hope you have lots of children. You and Ruth have lots of kids, not just the one to carry on Elimelech's name. We want you to do worthily, it says in Ephrata, be famous in Bethlehem. You guys are the best of the best in our community. We want that to be the case with your new family now. And then they give an interesting blessing. Let your family be like the family of fairies whom Tamar bare unto Judah. Fairies, that's an interesting kid. Hey, who's your dad? Well, uh, he's also my dad, but uh, he's technically my grandpa. You know the story, don't you? Remember Tamar? She was his daughter-in-law, Judah's daughter-in-law. And his son died before she had a kid. The Bible says God killed him because he was wicked. So husbands, be nice. Well, then, according to this law, like we're seeing here, the nearest kinsman was the next brother. And so the next brother married Tamar, and he did wickedly too. God killed him too. Judah's thinking, man, this is the widow maker. This girl, I got another kid. I don't want him to die too. And so he says, oh, he's too young. He needs to get older. But then when he gets older, Judah doesn't do the honorable thing. And so Tamar pretends to be a prostitute, and Judah's not walking with the Lord right now. This is right after him and his brothers had all sold Joseph to the Midianites. And Judah, he couldn't even live with himself. He leaves Israel, he leaves the promised land. He goes, he's living amongst the Gentiles. He marries a Gentile. I mean, he is totally not walking with the Lord right now. And so he goes out and he sees Tamar, who's got the veil and everything, doesn't know who she is, just thinks she's a prostitute. And through their engagement, she gets pregnant. And so word comes to him and says, hey, you're, uh, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, she's pregnant. And he goes, oh, finally, I can get rid of this widow maker. Burn her with fire because we know what's supposed to happen with that. And so she sends him because the payment was his signet ring. So she sends him the ring. She goes, well, the guy who got me pregnant is the owner of this ring. And that's when Judah finally wakes up and he goes, man, she's more righteous than I. And Judah, from that point on, he repents, he goes back home with family, and he walks with the Lord. But the child that's born, that's fairies. That was not an easy upbringing. I mean, as you can imagine. And yet the Lord make you like fairies. Why make you like fairies? Well, fairies was not the oldest son in Judah's family. And yet, he is always mentioned in the tribal lineage, always. He's mentioned in the Messianic lineage, not the son that was older of Judah that Judah didn't give to Tamar. See, like Ruth, Tamar wasn't an Israelite. 
And now Boaz is marrying her. And she'll be in the line of Judah now. God blessed such a woman in the past, Boaz, even though it was an ugly affair. And maybe Ruth coming into Israel didn't start off the best way because an Israeli family left the promised land. They disobeyed the Lord. But just as God blessed Tamar in the past, may God do so again with your wife. And God does. Look at verse 13. God blesses everyone involved. So Boaz took Ruth. The word actually means he gained Ruth. I love that. I always say I married way up. I gained a bride. Didn't get a bride. So Boaz gained Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, they loved one another. They were committed to each other. And now that they're married, they can express that to one another in this exclusive way. That is God's design for committed relationships. He did not go in unto her before that. They were not physically intimate before that. Now they can be. That's the way God has designed the intimate relationship to be in marriage only. He went in unto her and the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. God was working in all these things, but here the Lord gets the credit. You know, that Ruth came to Boaz's field of all the fields she could have gone to. That was the Lord. That Boaz came to check on his workers when she was there. That was the Lord. That the near kinsman came early in the morning. That was the Lord. It's only fitting that the Lord gets the credit for the result. The baby is born. The son is going to carry on Elimelech's name. Naomi's family will live on. God had never abandoned her. And so the women of the town said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which has not left you this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto you, this child, a restorer of your life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law, which loves you, which is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. That he'll be a nourisher of your old age means he's going to provide your necessary sustenance. And how is all that possible? Well, because of Ruth because of Ruth's commitment to her. And so Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. The word their bosom is not, doesn't mean she nursed the child, like breastfed the child. The word bosom there means her lap. She's bouncing him on her knee. And the word there for nurse, there's no reason to assume that Naomi adopted the child. The word here just means one who cares for another. Every time we look in scripture, this child is listed as Boaz and Ruth's son. So this is not considered Naomi's son. This is just saying that she was an involved grandparent as she was involved in this baby's life. And that is a huge turnaround for a woman who had said God had destroyed her life, don't you think? Huge turnaround. This is a woman who had given up hope, who was done. And yet here we find her involved in this boy's life. Verse 17, and the woman, her neighbors gave it the child a name saying, there's a son born into Naomi and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. Now, we'll get to David in a minute. I do find it a bit odd that the people give the child a name. It's very possible that Boaz and Ruth actually gave him a different name at his birth, but this is the name that stuck with the child. The word Obed means servant. And it's because, well, he's going to care for his grandmother. He's going to provide for her. So that's the name that stuck with him. And yet as special as Obed is, There's a bigger story to tell. The blessing of the city upon Boaz and Ruth, that they would be famous, that they would be elite members of their community. Well, it comes true because Obed is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. 
Now, these are the generations of Pharaohs. Verse 18, Pharaohs begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nashon. Nashon begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz. And Boaz begat Obed. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David. Now, it's interesting here. When we look at Salmon, who is also in this line of David, we've already been introduced to one non-Israeli who's in this family, Tamar. Now Ruth's another one, but this is not the first or second time someone from the tribe of Judah married a non-Israelite. I want you to look over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 with me. Because we're going to see a pattern here that shows to us, while Israel was God's special people, he does love everyone, and he wants everyone to come underneath his wings. It says in Matthew 1.5, And Salmon begat Boaz of who? Rahab. Who's Rahab? Rahab was the harlot of Jericho, right? Another Gentile woman in the line of the Messiah. Pretty amazing, huh? In fact, the four women that are mentioned in the line of the Messiah are not usually the ones that you'd like to point out. Got Tamar, the person who poses a prostitute because her father-in-law wouldn't take care of her. You've got Rahab, the harlot from Jericho. You've got Ruth, who has great character, but she is a Moabitess. And then we have the other winner, Bathsheba. And yet what a story of redemption we find just in the genealogy of Jesus. That God is in the business of turning lives around, of taking lives that don't look pretty, that don't look like they're part of his plan, don't look like part of his family, and that he takes great joy in making them a part of his family. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about David once we get to 1 Samuel, but suffice it to say, there isn't a more famous person after the book of Ruth than King David. And from David, of course, sprang the most famous Israelite of all, Jesus. Jesus, our Savior. One last thought about commitment here before we kind of wrap up Ruth. Jesus promises to never leave us or forsake us. And he proved that commitment to us on the cross. He is our kinsman redeemer. And even when we are faithless like Naomi, he remains faithful because it's who he is and who he will always be. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he says repeatedly throughout the scripture, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Now, to sum up Ruth, it's a short book. I hope you've been blessed. But ultimately, the lesson we're supposed to get from this is God's unending love for us. So I want to give you one last thought about Jesus's love for you as we finish up Ruth. Boaz, he absorbs all the cost in his relationship with Ruth, right? I mean, he pays to buy back the field for Naomi, but Obed's going to get that. Not Boaz, not any of Boaz's other kids that are born from Ruth. The only thing that Boaz gets out of this deal is the bride, right? It's the only thing he gets out of the deal. And Boaz, from every indication we have, is just fine with that. Just like Jesus. Jesus purchased the entire world at the cost of everything. Many still reject him, but he is more than satisfied to get his bride. He is more than satisfied with having you. So while there's a lot to learn about relationships in the book of Ruth, the ultimate lesson 
is Jesus's true love story with us, that he has made a commitment to us, that he will love us to the very end and he will finish what he started in us, that he will not leave us and he will not forsake us. Isn't he worthy of us giving all to him, of our total commitment to him? He's already laid it all out. He's totally committed to us and he'll never not be totally committed to us. So the proper response to his love is to be committed to him. Amen? Well, may you leave knowing he loves you. Nothing will change that. Nothing you've done, nothing you could do, not your past, not your heritage, not what your parents have done, not what your grandparents have done. God loves you immensely. And he will never not love you immensely. Lord, we thank you for that love. We thank you for the commitment you've made to us. Lord, we thank you that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, not doing nothing, but interceding for us, advocating for us. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we'll be united with you, when we'll celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb and everything will become done. Until that day, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, to being a faithful, faithful fiancé, a faithful bride-in-waiting. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you for loving us, Lord. We commit our lives to you completely. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Strong on me will save. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.